0: Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another edition of Third Degree the Podcast. Hi, how are you? My name is Peter. And for this one, not, not just with our brand new song, which we'll talk about in a second. I'm with the good Dan Crook. Hello, Dan.
1: Hey, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Are you good? All well there in Crookland? Everything is wonderful. Did you know that the wonderful Pappy Check intro really pairs nicely <laughs> with watching Peter Vermees crying in his press conference on repeat? <laughs> I,
0: I did not know that, but I suspect you'll be tweeting out that new hybrid video audio uh, sometime here soon. Don't put me to work. And of course, everybody's hero, your hero, my hero, Dan's hero, editor and founder of ThirdDegree.net, the good Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz.
2: Hello, Peter calling in today from the bank where I'm cashing my Allstate check.
0: <laughs> so, uh, you buzz that reference. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, so, Buzz, we got a new theme song for the pod from, uh, from your friend Pappy Check. Yeah.
2: I mean, we, we joked about that. Well, not half joked about it. We were actually relatively serious about it when he responded to the podcast a couple of weeks ago and uh, I contacted him and he was happy to do something. So it took him a couple of weeks. We whipped it, he whipped it up for us. And it's great to have a personalized theme. It's pretty exciting. So credit to him and, and you know, thanks for Pappy Check helping us out. And you can of course find him all over Spotify and Apple music. If you like what you hear.
0: All right. I, had, I would not have considered uh, the uh, genre of down-tempo blues, but uh, we'll hear it once you blew it all together. I'm sure it's going to work great, so thank you, Pappy Check. We love and adore you, too. All right. Well, I think it's time to talk about the elephant in the room, the thing that everybody's been talking about for the last few days. Are you guys ready to do this? I suppose we have to do it, don't we? Well, I kind of want to. Do you not want to talk about this?
2: Uh, not as much as you do, I think. Um, I kind of wish it would all go away, but uh, I think we have to do it service because it is kind of one of the biggest deals of the year
1: and a year of insanity. Guys, guys, just just burn it all down. It's great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So this all started on Sunday night when Buzz tweeted a link to a podcast I had never heard of before. And I normally would not have listened to it because I generally hate podcasts, <laughs> especially one with just random people on a Zoom call. Um, and But because of some weird, vague urgency that Buzz included in his suggestion, I decided to listen to it Monday morning. I guess this was Monday morning. And... Um I it starts off and my first immediate reaction is how did I not know that DeMarcus Beasley and Gooch had a podcast probably because it's called The Crack which is the worst name ever for a soccer podcast um but I was kind of digging it and all the and they, and because they were lit, you know interviewing Reggie and all of a sudden I hear Reggie say something and I have to stop the podcast and rewind it 1 minute and go back and listen to this again because I could not believe ...what I thought I had just heard, and sure enough, it is exactly what I heard, and for anybody that hasn't heard it yet, this is the audio of Reggie Cannon making an accusation that in the day after the booing incident, and his comments about the booing, where he called it disgusting, he is uh, making the claim that FC Dallas... Uh, wanted him to apologize and had hit, handed him or provided him some sort of pre-written statement. And for anybody that hasn't heard it here, that audio is right now. I want to give the real answer, you know? So the day after um, the game happened, I made the comments
1: and they saw that a little backlash was starting to happen. They originally asked me to apologize. Wow. Um, I'm done. I'm logging. Yeah, I'm, I'm logging off. <laughs> Hold they um,
0: they had written out a statement for me that read, "You know, I apologize to whom uh, the fans I offended. Uh, my choice of words. I uh, let the heat of the moment get to me." You're lying, though. I, I can't. I, not, you're you lying. Not. You, you got to be lying. I did not, and I I haven't told anyone this because, again, I'm in such a sensitive spot. You know. Right. Um, right. And yeah, but,
1: but 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 red, don't don't be un- unapologetic, man. That's that's God. the whole the coalition coalition yeah. is here for. Yeah,
3: and uh, I, I with all I said with all respect, like. I don't, I'm not apologizing. I
0: I didn't, Didn't. I I didn't do anything wrong. All right, guys. Uh, reactions to when you heard this. Well,
2: the, the whole podcast I actually thought was quite remarkable, um, beyond this particular moment, because Reggie verified everything we've been saying, you know, that he was been looking for a move for a long time and the move was about the national team and the challenges are right back and the, and he knew, and getting him out of his comfort zone. And the guys talked about their experiences. So it's a phenomenal th- podcast across the board in terms of its content. But this particular moment is troubling, and we don't need to revisit the original initial controversy. The troubling part for me here is that you've now come to a point where your player has come in uh, to the office you know, a couple of days, whatever, a day or two days, whatever it is later, and he's already receiving death threats and his family's receiving death threats. And more than likely, he's hurting. And for me, anything else but we have your back 100%, what do you want us to do? Anything but that is the wrong response to have had with Reggie. Now, the he said, she said, which we'll get to later, uh, who knows what really went down. But the bottom line is, when a player needed unconditional support for beyond whatever you wanted to think about outside of the room in the room, he needed a hundred percent and he didn't get it. And that's the problem for me.
1: It, it certainly ties in with that really weak statement that FC Dallas put out, you know, until the hunts as a collective put something out in response to major league soccer, actually saying, Hey, we support one of our players here, you know. So uh, it it all ties in and says, okay, well, maybe uh, maybe maybe the initial statement was kind of just a, a token gesture and wasn't in any way trying to back up Reggie as a as a person or or as a view. I mean. Uh, I am. I, I continue to be ultimately frustrated
0: that we ever got to this point uh, based on the idiocy of less than five people. I, that continues to drive me nuts that we've all allowed. A handful of idiots to create all this noise. And I will continue to point the finger at the club's decision. Stupid, idiotic, immature, amateur decision to put Reggie in front of the media after the game that night. That is by far the triggering event that caused all of this in the first place. It was so unfair to Reggie to ask him to comment on something without the full context of what had happened that night. He's down on the field. He doesn't really know what's going on. Um, he just They had just lost an embarrassing game to a, an expansion team. He's frustrated. He's got all this stuff going on. And of course, Reggie rightfully just kind of speaks his mind. And that is the beginning of all of this. But I thought what Reggie's comment in here was fascinating was that the request, if you really go back and listen to Reggie's uh, the way he kind of parses this out, I don't think the death threats and stuff had happened at this point because he actually describes it as after a little bit of controversy had flared up, the next day they came to me and wanted me to apologize. And then I think uh, more alarmingly, and this goes against what you know Dan Hunt said last night in front of the game, is he actually starts to somewhat paraphrase slash recite the actual statement that he claims they wanted him to read, and i, I you know that to me is all of that is just a, a an absolute disaster for this club because for all the reasons you just stated buzz i mean it, it's super frustrating and super weird, and the weirdest part of all is is that I am a hundred percent convinced Reggie did this on purpose. He did the interview. He asked them to delay it. They agreed that he should delay it till all of it was done. And he essentially planted a time bomb to go off later somewhere down the road. And it has worked to perfection.
2: Well, Reggie clearly 100% didn't want to affect um, his own transfer. And it's clear that the other two guys who in the podcast are are forming kind of a mentor type role uh, obviously agreed to that. And I don't blame him for that because if this would have all blown up in the middle of his transfer it could have impacted the transfer i think there's no question about that
1: yeah I, I think to follow up on that he probably didn't want to affect his teammates as much as anything because as we saw during covid and and everything else when there's a tiny bit of controversy we're trying to elbow people who don't cover the team out of the way and in the zoom calls to try and talk some soccer and we know it was pissing Lucci off because he made a remark about it, something that he doesn't typically do, and and players have done the same. So at least if Reggie's not here by the time that all comes out, it, it you know, he's not a distraction in the team, and the team aren't bearing the brunt of it as much as maybe the, the club as a whole in the PR department and and ownership. Yeah,
0: if you listen to the entire podcast, and let me also add this in and, and uh, agree with Buzz, the entire podcast episode is fantastic. There's a ton of really interesting conversations in there, and particularly when Demarcus Beasley says, yeah, we never defended in Houston. We hated playing against Reggie and Michael Barrios because we never yeah. defended. That's pretty great. Um but the other part of the, that I wanted to bring up about it was what happened in the After Effects. So what what happened was is I heard this, I cut the audio, and uh, we tweeted it out, and it or I tweeted it out, and it immediately started going viral. Um, Grant Wall retweeted it. Taylor Twelman retweeted it. Damn him. Um, Pretty much every major soccer, Jeff Carlisle, every major soccer media guy got a hold of it and retweeted it. And to date, I think it's almost at 150,000 impressions. I've, it, that, like That's like 100 times more than anything I've ever put on social media before. But the thing that, that I was really shocked by... In the reaction to it. And I think it's the singular thing that if I am Don Garber, Major League Soccer, Clark or Dan Hunt that I would be worried about was the almost universal 100% condemnation and immediate acceptance of everything Reggie said as 100% truth and how that turned around on that club. Nobody seemed to want to stop and go, wait a second. Well, let's hear the other side of the story. Everybody was just ready to light FC Dallas on fire and throw them in the garbage can.
2: Yeah, I think that FC Dallas has not developed a lot of goodwill in this regard. You know, uh, you know the soft um, first supporting thing, and then having to come back later. You know, the, the, then the subsequent game of putting everybody in the locker room rather than having come out. You know, the Hunt family has a tradition, has a longstanding support of conservative issues. You know, I I think people don't give Dallas a lot of credit, you know, and people just assume that Reggie wouldn't lie about such a thing. I certainly have always found Reggie to be very truthful and very open. I don't know of any cases when he's lied to me, certainly. So uh, it's not surprising that uh, when the team then started to sit on it and not reply, it just collectively just steamrolled after that.
1: I definitely see a there's there's a, almost a certain value in some silence in that hey you don't want to bury your homegrown but you have to say something um, you know I I agree with you every time I've spoken to Reggie he's been completely open and honest whether that was I had a shit game such and such screwed up the other team did this you know or just even just like I don't want to talk right now the guy is super emotional wears his heart on his sleeve. Um, you know, I remember asking him about receiving a player of the year award and he was more focused on that he felt he had a bad performance and he was in on the verge of tears saying, I mean, the whole season, you know, for me, the whole season doesn't matter too much as, uh, since you're only as good as your last game and I just had a shocking game. So a couple
0: days go by and we don't hear anything out of the club and you know we kind of checked with some sources and it was at the up until uh about an hour before the game last night I had kind of just come to the impression that the club had decided they were just going to go into let it blow over mode for better or worse. And that kind of made sense because we were starting to hear some stories that maybe an email had come out from the top level down to a certain level at the club uh, that was making comments. I've, I've heard this from a couple of different sources now <clears throat> that essentially was making claims that maybe the version of events Reggie was telling people wasn't – they didn't agree with it, right? Like that we don't remember it happening that way kind of deal. And then last night I'm watching the Channel 8 News, The uh, I guess it was the 5.30, 6 o'clock, I don't remember what it was, it was the, uh, the news, and I see Mike Leslie shockingly do a story on the Reggie thing, and he plays the Reggie audio, and at the very end of it he says, we reached out to FC Dallas for a comment and were given none other than was told that Dan Hunt would be commenting on the Reggie audio during tonight's game broadcast. I, I immediately started going through my email. I texted Buzz, and I was like, "Are you? Has anybody announced that Dan's going to make a statement about this to the media anywhere? Do we are we aware of this happening?" And you guys, to this day, we we uh, they did not tell the media Dan was doing this. Correct? Yeah. No. Nothing. Dan. Yeah. No. Nothing.
1: Uh, even the staff was scrambling when they realized that it was happening when uh when dan appeared on the tv and the press box
0: okay can we just take a second and comment on how effing weird that is
1: yeah i
2: i, I think that um there must be two forces at work here inside the organization one that wants to do nothing about it and then dan's like i've got to do something i've got to say something because the only people that seem to know about it were the broadcasts themselves. So I, I don't know specifically you know, why there's a disconnect, but there seems to be a disconnect.
0: Yeah, so it didn't air during the pregame. It actually occurred literally on the onset of the game broadcast itself. And so Dan Hunt is standing in Steve Davis's position on the left side of the now famous plexiglass wall, and Mark Folliwell is queued up to essentially ask Dan a... Uh, You know, a pre given question that Dan can answer. And if you're one of the people that have never heard this, and if you haven't, I understand why we'll talk about that in a second. Here is that. Here's that two minutes from last night.
3: Yeah, first I want to be clear on this. There were no written comments that were pushed upon Reggie. That's really inconsistent with our values here at this club, and that kind of taking away a freedom of speech has really bad implications, and that's something that you know we are not associated with. That's not in our core values for me and my brother Clark, um, and I, I was sorry to hear those comments, but we met with Reggie the day after the game and talked to him about upcoming media opportunities and how he wanted to go through this and provide different opportunities, and he did those opportunities, those are well within his right, and we respect him. We love Reggie Cannon. He's an unbelievable young man. He was a great player here, um, and I was just sorry to hear that because that's just not consistent with our core values at FC Dallas. We would never push a written statement upon somebody that disagreed with that, what their stance was on something. In the aftermath of those comments as well, there was a narrative out there, Dan, that the National Anthem incident is what was the impetus for her, his uh, transfer from FC Dallas to Bola Vista in Portugal. How would you address Yeah, I mean, there's no truth to that. Reggie came to us with a plan wanting to go to Europe about 18 months before, and we worked with him after his contract extension, and we gave him our word that if an offer came and it was acceptable, and this was obviously pre-COVID, that we would transfer him. Obviously, the offer wasn't quite what we expected. But it was a great opportunity for Reggie. Um, We were worried a little bit at first because it's a new league, new opportunity. But Boa Vista had made the commitment to sign players, including there was talk of Albert Ellis going. So we wanted to make sure. And they had a plan to play Reggie Cannon. You can't have players go to international teams and not play. That totally destroys their development. And so Boa Vista had a great plan. Reggie wanted to do it. And Clark and I lived up to our word to Reggie Cannon, which was to transfer him. All right, uh, there's a lot
0: to unpack here. Uh, any particular comments you'd like to start out with, Buzz? Well,
2: yeah, the The first is that um, there's been some complaints, and this is not a defense of Dan, by the way. The first is there were some complaints that he looked wooden, that he looked like he was reading something, that he maybe he was reading a teleprompter. And um, what I would say about that is that if you've ever had a chance to talk to Dan Hunt, and I have, and this includes whether you have a microphone in your hand or not, this is just kind of how he talks. He tends to recite these sort of pre-conceptualized ideas in ideas that he has and then puts those out there for you. And then if you circle back to the same topic, you'll pretty much get the same talking points. So it's just his style of conversation, the way he is. So do not I don't think you can read anything into that being like a prepared bit. That's just how he does.
1: Honestly, the only times I've spoken to Dan and he's been kind of like free-flowing and comfortable is just when you're talking and you're both having a beer at the same time uh he kind of like you know he's it's like he's off company time and he can kind of be a a person yeah
0: there is very much an off mic slash camera dan hunt and an on mic slash camera dan hunt and what we were seeing last night was the on mic slash camera dan hunt which is robo Dan Hunt. But let's really drive to the point in the big question here. Is Dan ostensibly calling Reggie a liar?
2: Yeah. I mean, basically that's what he's saying. You know, this is what it comes down to. Every, a person, People's faulty memories. They talk about this with car accidents too. Like you can interview 20 witnesses. And oh, all this is a definitely a car accident. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I mean is like you'll have 20 witnesses talk about a car accident and they'll all give you a different story. So like Several days later, everyone that was in the room is going to have a different story. Now, I'm not defending the team. I'm just saying that there's no way to really know unless somebody digs up a recording of the conversation. But I don't. I don't think it matters. Now, you remember I went back and I said when we first started, I said the big mistake for me was that in the when when Reggie is starting to have all these difficulties, these death threats, and all this, and the controversy, that you should have been all about support and you weren't. Well, this comes back to the same thing to me, like. Dan's going to go on TV here and he's arguing a semantic. Like he made a big deal about there was no written thing. Well, honestly, who cares if there's a written thing or not? The the point was, is you went into a meeting and offered the guy options. It's like, you don't want options. What you want to do is say, you're our guy. And they didn't do that. And so now you go on TV and and you're trying to defend that. Again, what you should have done when you went on TV is say, we misplayed this with Reggie in that first meeting. That's our bad. We should have done it differently. But now we're here to say that we 100% percent support the kid and want to do everything that he wants us to do. That's what They, they should have had a mea culpa and said, my bad. And then yeah. you would have actually been able to repair some with your fan base by defending yourself and arguing semantics. You're not going to win this, right? This is bad PR, you're never going to win this. Even if you convince people you're right, it still looks bad, right? They should have just said, my bad, we got your back, Reggie, let's move on. You know, that's what it should have been and it wasn't.
0: Right, because because Dan uh uh Hunt's answer last night essentially admits that they asked him to apologize. He's just quibbling over the fact that it was pre written or not.
1: Yeah, he's you know, he's saying uh they didn't hand him a statement, but they gave him that and a bunch of other options of media availability. Well, why are you putting him up on a pedestal in front of a camera? What good is that going to do? The only correct answer is to say, and if they can stay socially, um, you know, they can sit on the, on the fence socially and say, hey, regardless of your views, booing the players, and particularly throwing a bottle on the field is unacceptable. We back our player in labeling that action disgusting. That's not labeling the FC Dallas fan base disgusting. It's not calling FC Dallas fans racist as a whole but is saying the action of something that goes against the code of conduct that all fans have to adhere to when they buy their ticket is disgusting.
0: Okay, so a couple of other things that I I, want to unpack from this. First off, I can't figure out in my head if I should be uh, uh, put out by Dan Hunt's Uh, choice of attire and lack of shaving for him to show up and do this. Or if I should actually have a great level of admiration that that dude, the black sheep of the hunt family just gives zero Fs. I, I was really, really shocked that for that particular incident, we got that version of Dan hunt last night. Is anybody else surprised by that? Well, I will
2: tell you that my wife said exactly the same thing, you know, and she's just a normal soccer fan. You know, she's not a media personality. So for her to have said that, um, and then of course my father compared her to Mark Cuban. But I, I think, I think if you're trying to be taken seriously, I think I would have gone with at least a tie there, if not uh, a jacket as well.
0: My wife doesn't know Dan Hunt from anybody at the grocery store. And she saw it. And she was like, who is that? And wh- why is he on television? And when I told her the story, yeah, she too was uh, pretty surprised by that. So. Uh, the other part of it is it, it, that I, I i'm really trying to screw my head together as to why like what they thought was going to come out of this um, and how they thought this particular statement would help because on the heels of them putting this in their game broadcast they've not posted it to their website they've not shared it on social media they haven't transcribed it and put it anywhere. The only way anybody would have ever seen this was either a they happened to flip the game on exactly at seven p m or seven thirty and caught it live or they happened to catch the tweet that you, we put out yesterday uh, buzz, which is me literally shooting the video in real time on my phone from the screen of my television in my kitchen and posting it on social media and i can 't figure out what that what does that signal to the to the fan base that they I, is that they're embarrassed by what Dan said or they just figure they've done it and now it's over with what?
2: Yeah, that's the confusing part. And that's what I said about there being what I meant about there being two maybe two competing concepts inside the organization, because, you know, once Dan decides he's going on, he's going to do this, you would think it would be down to the team to disseminate it, you know, out as here's our official statement, but they seem to be attempting to bury it at this point. So maybe, Maybe the reaction wasn't quite what they anticipated, and now they don't want to trumpet things and make it any worse. Um, I, 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 I'm really honestly, I'm very confused about the whole situation.
1: They've you know, not done a very good job with the PR on this one. Just uh, going back to the whole uh, appearance thing, I wonder if it's a case of because you know we have to remember that Dan Hunt does indeed go into work at eight eight thirty every morning, and he's he's in his office. If this was something that was just sprung on him really late and he's like, hmm, don't really have the time to, to drive down, pick up get changed, get all uh cleaned up and get back. And and also, you know, to play into that if their attitude is, Well, if anyone asks, now we can say he's made a statement, he's not commenting any further, oh, I'm sorry you missed it. Oh no, we don't have a record of it.
0: Yeah, I, I I think Buzz is on to something. I think there's a an internal conflict over this stuff. I don't think, in my heart of hearts, as critical as I am of this club, that they are fundamentally or, system, or systematically racist. I just don't think they are. I think they're con, a conservative family, yes, but I—, I <laughs> <laughs> they employ too many people of too many nationalities and colors and give them money and do all kinds of good things and and, and, and by and large i think dan uh, hunt in particular is known as a guy who uh you know floats around in a lot of different societal circles of of, of different flavors so i i, I don't I just am confused by how they choose to handle this, and I'm very worried for a club who is just, it just, it just seemingly was universally accepted as 100% truth. And I'm not suggesting that Reggie's telling uh, inaccuracy or lying or anything. I just thought, wow, if everybody's just willing to accept it that way, if I'm on the outside, if I'm in the inside of this, I'm really worried that everybody was just too willing to accept that as 100% truth and light us on fire.
2: I feel like they have absolutely fumbled this on like five separate occasions and they've, rather than trying to put out fires, it's almost like they keep getting in their own way. And this organization, in terms of, I agree with you, by the way, too, that I don't buy for a minute there's any racial bias in this organization. They have way too many uh, oars in the water in different communities and different cultures. You know, this can, you can go all the way back to the, Cotton Bowl, you know, and the Hunts taking over the team. The Hunts just stumble with this thing, with this soccer thing. They never have quite, I don't think Dan and Clark have, uh, despite being soccer guys, for some reason they don't seem to 100% always understand the soccer market and world and mentality. And they continue to stumble with this thing, you know, just over and over and over. It's like each time they've misplayed it and gone the wrong way. And it's, it's true almost across the board with this organization that the on-the-field product, the way the academy runs, the way the first team runs, we love all of it based on the fact that it is a short budget. Based on that, they do the very best that they can, and they perform. But the whole rest of the organization, all the time, is just a cluster. They're just always just screwing these things up. And, I, and at some point, you just accept that like it's just how they are. They're just crap at this stuff, and it's what it is.
0: Yeah, it, it, it does confuse me because of the, the family names ties so deeply into U.S. soccer at large. Right. And then even more in, uh, importantly is the family's ties to the NFL and the danger that they put themselves in with something so vital to them. I mean, this is the same family that just won the Super Bowl. Right. And, yeah. and I, I don't, I can't figure out how two things can be so different from each other uh, and, and be essentially the same operation. I, I, I can't cotton that in my head.
2: Well, you can go, you can go, <clears throat> pardon me. Hold on. You can go all the way back to the decision to go to South Lake when they took the team over. Like everybody that knew anything about the burn and knew anything about this market and soccer knew that that was a horrible, horrible idea. And they thought it was a great idea. And like since then it's like they just continue to make all these horrible decisions about soccer. they just don't get it half the time and it's, most of the time and that that trend continues into every aspect of the front office in my opinion. you know they consistently underperform they consistently make the wrong choices, they consistently misread the market, and once again, with their player here i 'm not even talking about the overall political aspects behind this i don't care, if you to flip it on its head and you had a really conservative player and a really conservative player had to make a bunch of protests. They still have not made the right choices and how to support the player, how to deal with the, the now mad section of the fan base both ways. Cause now you have both sides of your, uh, uh, this controversy pissed off in the fan base. I mean, cause they listen, we hear that they've lost sponsors and lost fans because of the BLM protests. And now they're losing fans and they're losing support because of their failure to support Reggie. So they've screwed it up both ways. What are they doing? Yeah,
0: I was really to quote
2: Taylor Tellman. What are we doing? Yeah, I was,
0: I don't know if you guys have seen this uh, and shout out to him. Uh, day one season ticket holder, fan of the Dallas burn parish Glover. Uh, tweeted out today that he's decided just to kind of skip the rest of the season until he can uh, get the sense that the the club's got their stuff together on this issue. And that that to me is a really damning statement because Parrish is about as hardcore uh, uh, Dallas till I die guy as it gets.
2: Yeah, former third-degree
0: writer emeritus. Yes, and by the way, he's one of many, many fans that I've seen do this. But to your point, Buzz, I've also seen a fair share of fans that are still mad that the team allowed the players to kneel during the national anthem in the first place. And and they're still pissed off about that. Yeah, so – Uh, They are stuck in the middle. I still think there's a better way of handling it. And I do find I don't know if you guys I don't know if you guys saw the news last night and have heard the story about the local advertising uh, agency here in Dallas called the Richards Group. Have you heard about what happened to them yesterday?
2: Yeah, actually, one of my best friends in the world worked for them for like a decade, so I'm well aware of that incident. Yeah,
0: so just so that anybody listening to the pod, the Richards Group is the largest independent ad agency, uh, and it's based here in Dallas, And there's a, a and an, there's a really old guy that runs it, and they were reviewing a new Motel 6 commercial they had put together, and apparently he said in the meeting, that's too black, and that will turn off their <laughs> – I can't believe he said this – that is too black, and that will offend their – uh, a white supremacist uh, 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 customer base—that th- div- that portion of their customer base that are white supremacists—and that caused Motel Six to drop them, Dr Pepper dropped them, um, all. I, but the reason why I bring it up is, is that he essentially admitted it, he owned it, he put out a really thoughtful and interesting statement yesterday. I don't know if it's going to put out the fire of that, but the way they handled something that is a thousand times worse than what happened with the Reggie FC Dallas situation. The way they managed that, that crisis management uh, activity was way better done than anything they've been doing up in Frisco for the last three or four days.
2: Well, the richest group is a phenomenal company that has done many, many amazing campaigns that anyone listening to this podcast will have seen. It's a big, humongous, gigantic, amazing advertising firm. Now he might've killed this company with this thing, but they certainly know how to run campaigns and how to spin things. And it's a totally different level of professionalism. Uh, you know, this moment aside that company, uh, and unfortunately there's a whole lot of people who are going to lose their jobs probably, but you know, that's a company that knows how to spin and knows how to do PR. And clearly FC Dallas does not. And as I, as you and I have both said, and I think Dana said, they have misplayed this both ways across the board. And now they're made their entire fan base mad both ways, you know, quote unquote, both ways, all that kind of garbage. But um, you know, we care, about. I care about the mechanics of what they're doing, the execution of what they're doing and not the politics behind it. And I think they've just totally jacked this thing completely in every way possible.
0: Dan, if if you had been working for the club and they came to you and said, Dan, how should we handle this? What would you have done?
1: I mean, exactly what we've been saying, uh, you know, what it boils down to. It doesn't matter your position on, on social issues. The, you know, Reggie's comments were in regards to an an action taken by half a dozen people, and that action is something that is an ejectable offense, and it goes against MLS's code of conduct. And you take the easy road out. You say, "Hey, we stand with our player." You know, abuse uh, abuse against players isn't tolerated. Objects being thrown on the field isn't tolerated, and you kind of skate on by. You don't you don't poke the bear, you just kind of address the high level issues.
0: The other part of this before we kind of uh put it to bed, at least for now, is do you do you guys agree with me that there almost certainly has to be something else going on behind this? Because if you go back and listen to Reggie's comments, very carefully there's a moment in there when he's talking to gooch and bees about this and they're like man you can't be telling us the truth this is absolutely you're got to be lying we can't believe they asked you to do this there's a line in there where reggie alludes to something having to do with the mess going on with the transfer situation and in the weeks leading up to this if you'll recall Reggie's status in terms of being sold had gotten a little weird like we we had been on this podcast going yeah at any minute he's getting sold and then a week would go by and he was still here. And I'm wondering if there's a whole part of this story that uh was fueled to this fire in terms of Reggie being unhappy with the club with how the transfer deal went down or was going down at the same time the booing incident happened.
2: Yeah, if you remember uh, my reporting according to my sources there was a moment where I said this deal's done all but the ink you know the, the principles of it are done and then it, several weeks went by without anything happening and I, I also had reported along the way that a couple other teams had come in you know and that's what muddled things up a bit as more teams come in and acquire inquire and throw numbers on the table and in particular I mentioned a Russian team that had come in and my information was that Russian number was probably twice, what the number on the table was, the one that Reggie wanted, um, the one that he ended up with, which is the Boa Vista-Leal combo. Um, And then obviously there's a factor in there. It has to do with the sell-on percentage that FC Dallas wants and how much it costs them to get that, all of which impacts how much Reggie gets because the player gets a percentage of transfers, right? So there are complications, and I'm sure the Hunts probably wanted the largest value, period, Reggie's like, I'm not going to Russia. That's don't be ridiculous. I assume, I think that's a fair guess to make,
0: Gee, I don't, you know, based I don't on know the why. information.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, based on the information we had, <laughs> uh, why would you go to Russia? There's no way, right? So, even if the offer is twice as much, like my source says it was, so nonetheless, there are complications with the transfer and it's getting held up after it had basically been agreed on a lot of levels. So, you know, but I'm sh- I'm not privy to all the inner workings, of course. But there's enough smoke here to think that maybe things didn't quite go so smoothly as we thought. I mean, Reggie even had that moment where he sat on the field with Paxton at the end of the, that home game, and then played like two more games or whatever it was. Right. Yeah. You know? So I mean, even he, even he thought it was over. So clearly, some stuff went down, and we'll see whether this has whether this has been enough stuff that Reggie's no longer Dallas Till I Die." We'll see.
0: Okay, that's well said, Buzz. The reason why I bring this up is because, as you heard uh, when we played it, the second half of the Dan audio is where they had Mark Folliwell queued up to ask him a question that I thought was weird that Dan wanted to bring up, which was the issue of the timing of this incident and the timing of Reggie's sale. And he was very eager to clear up the same thing we've been saying for a while, which is the two things have nothing to do with each other.
2: Oh yeah, that no, that's 100% true. We've been saying for a long time that for over a year, this goes all the way back to prior to last season, Reggie began working on this idea that he was going to go to Europe, that he wanted to go to Europe. These things don't happen overnight. They take a long time to put together. And so we we've, we've been talking about Reggie going to Europe since I think it was middle of last season when we started talking about it on the podcast. And Reggie on the Cracked podcast, he specifically mentioned that, you know, it takes a while And Dan Hunt said something like, we've been working on it for 18 months. All of that completely jives with 100% with the timeline that we had from my sources and from my information from the team. All of that fits. There is 100% true that selling Reggie has nothing to do with any of this protest or any of this other stuff. This is all about, for Reggie, competition with the national team to be the World Cup right back when you're looking at Dest in Europe and you're looking at... Um, Yedlin in Europe and and you want to be the best guy, you have to get to Europe and challenge yourself. And he talked about the podcast. He's talked about taking himself out of his comfort zone. This has been brewing forever. Now, does this thing leave a sour taste as you walk out the door? Yeah, but I told you this is a done deal before any of this protesting
0: even happened. This has nothing to do with them selling Reggie. So I I just, I think the part that I found weird was I, I thought it was, I was surprised that they had Mark ask him that question. I, I was surprised that they are sensitive to that matter. Maybe I'm uh, naive for being surprised by that. I, I That just out of all the things that happened, beyond the calling, uh, ostensibly calling Reggie a liar, that was part, that was uh, part two of what I was kind of thrown off by last night.
2: Well, you know, they have a reputation they have to maintain with their academy and in the youth field in general and with players that you want to bring in here that are at pros already. Remember their, their selling point is that they're a stepping stone club that if you come here, we'll help you make you better and we'll get you onto the next level. So they, they don't want this sale of Reggie to be received as, Oh, he screwed us. So we screwed him back because it isn't about that. We all, we know that's not about that and they don't want other people to think that's about that because they're trying to protect that reputation in the playing community, not in the fan base. That was a question about that was for the players. I think.
0: Hmm. Uh, All right. Well, I think we've uh, beaten that one to death. The other note, the only note I would throw in there is I just wonder if uh, Reggie's aware (laughs) that uh, on this week's uh, announced debut of the new FC Dallas performance facility they opened up, they use a Reggie Cannon quote on the the website recommending uh, FC Dallas. I, I wonder if he's aware they did that and he signed off on it. Um, Okay, guys, well, let's move on to the next topic, which is FC Dallas 1, Sporting Kansas City 0. I watched this game today. I did not watch it live last night, so I was watching it on television, and I thought it was boring, Buzz. I did not think it was a very good game of soccer to watch.
2: Well, somebody else I know that watched it on TV said the same thing, but in the stadium, I thought it was fascinating because of the crazy difference from first half to second half and the shenanigans with Vermees and the delaying and, and all that stuff to me was just absolutely phenomenal. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then I, of course, the wind giving the comeuppance to the Kansas city is always a good thing. Dan, Um, were you
0: there? Were you Dan, were you there last night in the, in the press box? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, just real quick, I'm assuming the reason why it was more exciting in person is because you got to enjoy all of the Peter Vermees antics that they were not showing on television last night. And the yelling and the screaming and the pouting and jumping up and down.
1: Yeah, it was it was kind of funny uh, partway through the second half. You know, Vermees never sits down. He's always, like, hunched up on something or screaming. And then he just gave up, sat down and crossed his legs, crossed his arms and pouted. <laughs> but it was a, it was kind of funny actually. Speaking of me, so was a weird thing at the end of the game. Um, you know, obviously he goes to berate the fourth official, and then does. I don't think he like acknowledged the the other officials, but he races to Andres Riccate and we're all up in the press box like, are they gonna are they gonna come a blows? And then next thing you know, he gives him a hug and then he walks off. And like <laughs> that was. That was weird. That was like Oscar Pereira weird.
0: <laughs>
1: that is weird.
0: That is very strange. I, that Peter Vermees is uh, an odd bird. So, Buzz, let's talk about the game a little bit, because uh, you were tweeting very quickly that uh, Kansas City had decided to give Dallas a little bit of its own medicine and sit in a low block of, a, of the infamous four five one, 5 one and uh, also a big ladle full of time-wasting.
2: Yeah, if if you've ever seen Kansas City play, they do not play in a low block. They come out and play. Now, it's not necessarily, you know, a super heavy possession game, but they play. And for, right from the get-go, they dropped into a complete bunker, low block, two rows of four and then a 1-1 one, one, or whatever you want to call it, four-five-one, 4-5-1, whatever it looks like. Uh, an absolute just sit still and do nothing and destroy the game, low block. And on top of that, they went into a full-blown kill the game uh, and slow slow down what they probably consider FC Dallas style of like when the ball is out of bounds, you walk really slowly to get it and walk really slowly back. The end zone guys started counting how long the keeper was taking to get the ball and do goal kicks. When the ball would go out of play, guys would walk really slowly when there was a corner. Rather than have a guy close take it, a guy that was near midfield would walk really slowly over to get the ball. The referee, like five minutes into the game, is already telling them to hurry up and started giving yellow cards really rapidly. And to me, that was hysterical. I'm like, that's so funny that that Vermees is still so mad about the delaying that he's going into this complete destroy the game. Look, uh, just to sort of prove a point almost – and they went all the way to halftime doing that, and it was working for most of it until Dallas finally scored. The real interesting question for me is at halftime, they brought on three players, including Johnny Russell, who's a great player, and so they clearly went into a now-we're-going-to-play-and-now-we're-going-to-go-for-it mode. Well, would they have done that if it, if the Dallas hadn't scored and got up a goal? Would they, have, or would, they, would they have stuck in the slow? I don't know. Maybe they wanted to just try and take away half the game and shorten the game. I don't know, again, but... It was absolutely fascinating, and that was the part I was enjoying thoroughly. I mean, I was actually giggling to myself watching these Kansas City players stroll about the field, waiting for the ball to to come back to them. You know, like it, it was a it was a free kick; they wouldn't go get it. They would just stand there and wait until somebody brought them a ball. It was I've awesome.
1: Got, I've got to disagree on the funniest part of the game. It was uh, like ten minutes before the end when Gianluca Busio steps up to take a free kick outside the box. He looks really <laughs> determined in his run up. The SKC players are hustling around in the box and he passes it gently to Michael Barrios 10 <laughs> yards away.
0: <laughs> for um, all of all of the praising and adulation that we've thrown out on this podcast for Busio and then he farted that free kick away like that, that was uh, pretty fantastic. I, I've yeah.
1: got to say, um, you know, talking about like the antics and everything else... Um, and and FC Dallas, I, I, you know, I asked a couple of people about. Hey, you guys don't do well with a low block, and you did very well with a low block, and it was just kind of funny to see that SKC almost like shot themselves in the foot trying to frustrate Dallas with the worst executed low block because the fullbacks were getting and wingers were just getting behind Jalen Lindsay and whoever was on the uh, on the on the other fullback position at will. It was ridiculous. Yeah, Adi, uh, I think his name is. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, Now, again,
0: on television, you didn't really pick up the time-wasting. And, in fact, you really didn't even notice it until... Uh, the referee came over and gave, I think it was Adi, uh, a, a talking to for wasting time. Cause I guess the ball rolled out for a throw in and instead of just picking that ball up, he walked all the way down to the wall and picked up one of the clean balls and brought it back in right. the referee. And then Steve and Mark pointed out that, uh, it looked like Kansas, it, you know, Vermees was trying to enact some revenge on that. So that, that wasn't as obvious, at least to me on the TV broadcast, um, but the, the what I found interesting was the fact that once Dallas does score that goal and they get to the second half, they essentially they ostensibly traded low blocks against each other.
2: Well, I don't think that Dallas quite into it when it's a low block, but certainly once Sporting Kansas City decided to play, then Dallas, you know, went back to their more normal system they use against Kansas City, which is they're not in a super hurry to get it back. Um, you know, and they, they press high and then drop. So
3: I I think you're right. No, they didn't go into
0: two lines of four, but you see what I'm saying. They, they decided to shut up shop a little bit themselves and it, and, and, and Kansas city was having some some success uh, banging on Dallas's door, at least early in the second half with it.
2: Well, that's the, that's why it's so funny. The first half, because they clearly completely just gave the first half away just to prove a point. And that's why it's so hysterical because, they they had some of their best players on the bench and just saved them for the second half. It was really weird.
0: Now in your uh, post game, your great new feature that you do your three quick thoughts video that you put up on social media in minutes after the game, you made the comment uh, that is uh, you made a comment that highlights the difference between what Lucci does with fullbacks and what Oscar used to do with fullbacks and how that related to the one goal in the game.
2: Yeah, uh, before I do that specifically, related to that is that Kansas City attacked down their left side 51% of the time, which Mark. is a clear indicator that they thought that uh, Brian Reynolds was the weak spot defensively. And then Reynolds, with his pace, just, just proceeded to just shut down everybody that came into his zone. And even Busio tried to go right on the one on one, and Brian just handled it easily. So I enjoyed that aspect. But the part you're talking about, the letter of the goal is that we've talked before about Lucci's system with the attacking outside backs. And what happens is when you have an outside attacking back, you overload the offensive third of the field with an extra player. Well, in Lucci's case, Lucci actually wants, specifically wants both outside backs to go at the same time. Now Oscar never did that. Oscar was always when one goes, the other one stays back. It was always one or the other. He was very adamant about it. They worked on it training all the time. Recognition of when the guy's going, Oh, it's my turn to go back. Lucci hundred percent all the time in training. Go both of you. Same time. He wants a double overload, particularly in a low block. And that goal was a cross from Reynolds, clearly looking for Hollingshead. That wasn't a misplayed cross. That was a long cross, to Hollingshead, who was wide open on the other side. And so the double overload broke the block, and it was perfectly effective. And it would not have happened under Oscar.
0: Yeah, Ryan Reynolds had two, three, four really, really quality crosses in that game last night that the team just could not convert.
2: Yeah, at this point, I think it's pretty clear that he's the best crosser on the team, um, without any question. I don't think there's anybody on the left side that can cross hardly at all, relatively speaking. Ryan's okay. And Barrios is had been, probably, the best, probably been the best crosser before now, but clearly, I think at this point it's Reynolds. His balls are both driven and low and accurate to people's feet in dangerous spots. Uh, and at this point, he's one of the most dangerous attackers on the field for this team, and he's a right back.
0: Yeah. So in the uh, moments after the goal, there was a tussle uh, between Barrios and their goalkeeper Melia. Did did we ever figure out what that was about, or was that just Barrios being Barrios?
1: I think it all started because uh, Frank O'Hara got up in Melia's face. I mean, I assume it came down to the, you know, there's always shenanigans with trying to kick the ball away or keep the ball or do something. And the fact that, you know, the goal hit the post, hit the back of Melia's head and went in. So there's a, a certain... Element of shame after all of their shenanigans. Did they
0: decide that was an own goal after all?
1: They awarded it to Hollinshead. I actually asked him about it, and he kind of shushed me.
0: Really? Because that was not going in. It came off the post. It he only went
1: in. The- he hadn't seen it because it went through a you know it went through a bit of a crowd of players. So when I asked him about it, it was the first time he. He heard that it Whoa. wasn't direct in.
2: I, I think they've decided with that bit that if like if a player doesn't like try and kick the ball, if it just bounces off then that, that doesn't count as an own goal. You have to make a soccer move or something for it
1: to be an own goal. Like, that's why it's not. Okay, Dean Blandino. I'm not saying that that's, (laughs) I mean, that's funny, right?
2: I'm just saying that I believe that's the case because it, you know, because it went off the guy clearly, right? But it's not at all.
0: I was watching little tiny Michael Barrios, uh, 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 you know, run up and and get into it with Melia, who's literally twice his size. And I had this suddenly, you know, the the annual MLS player survey they do every year where they ask him all these questions and everybody anonymously answers.
2: Oh, yeah. I love that thing.
0: You know what they need to add? They need to add who's the biggest jerk on the field, and Ooh. I guarantee you, Barrios <laughs> is going to be top what two, three on that list.
1: Oh, uh, he's up there, yeah. He makes people really mad. But um, hey. I, I do. Do you want to say? You know, we do know the thing that started it. Barrios put jumped up, put his arm around Melia, and said, "It's okay. I scored a header a couple of weeks too, and people couldn't believe that either." <laughs>
0: Uh, All right, so now here we are, uh, first win in a while, uh, 1-0. It is uh, a goal created and finished by fullbacks. And, Buzz, one of the other comments you made last night was how much you're in love with uh, Ricarte as a player. And I know you are, but what is it we're not so if Ricarte is this player that you love so much and I'm just kind of playing devil advocate here because yeah. I generally agree with you why aren't we seeing what? what is broken about this attack that has where they've got this amazing uh, creative midfielder that isn't converting into even opportunities much less goals
2: that's a good question uh, I don't know that I know what's broken per se other than to say that Hara only had 20 touches again. You know, there's definitely a problem with this team getting the ball into the feet of your nine. Now, part of, is part of that that he's playing a false nine? I think there's something to be said for Hara and the in the whole offense of this team still trying to figure each other out. I mean, we talk about players sometimes needing half a year or a whole year to figure out the league and the team. So I'm not panicked yet, but if you look at uh, Ricarte's passing chart, I'm counting, well, it looks like seven times where he tried to pass the ball into the, you know, right inside the arc, right above the PK spot. Presumably that's Tahara, and they're not mm-hmm. connecting. So I agree with you that there's definitely a problem and a disconnect there. I'm hoping that it'll get better with time. The, the part about Ricarte's game that I find so delicious is that what I call spatial awareness, right? He's he's aware of what's around him in midfield, probably with an early head check, probably so early that I'm not even seeing it, but he's feeling guys coming in and he's setting them up. He's setting them up for the foul. Like when he makes the touch, he he moves the ball to a position where if the player reaches for it, they're going to foul him or he's reading it far enough ahead that he's turning away from pressure because he knows where his teammate is and is escaping and keeping play going. Now, sometimes it's important that Tanner Tessman had a good game and Brian Acosta had a good game too. So that triangle is getting better and improving, but in particular, just the instincts that Ricarte has about who's coming, how hard are they coming? Are they going to foul me? Or do I have a moment to turn and go? Do I have a guy that's lateral? I can pass to? Can I turn and find somebody forward? A lot of passes to Barrios, not a lot of passes to Pico. That's a question mark. So, um, I just love what Ricardo. Just the idea that a guy came in in the prime of his career mid-season and is great. I mean, when has that happened with this club? It's, I'm, I'm so excited about this guy. He's such a good player.
1: The well, yeah, thing no, about no, his no. spatial awareness and everything, you know, the, the goal, it, that's exactly what created that. That is a 50-50 ball that two players would ordinarily slide in for and it goes straight out for a throw-in. Instead, he dinks it over the the defender... Gets himself in some nice place. Plays a beautiful pass to split two defenders and give Brian Reynolds as much time as he wants on the ball to, to wait for Holland's heads run.
0: Now you brought him up and he was your man of the match. Yeah. Uh, is is it okay for us to be like super duper excited about Tanner Testman now?
2: Well, hasn't it been all along?
0: Well, I just feel like now we've gotten a run of him uh oh, for man, a while yeah. and we're really starting to see there was a there was a moment very I don't know what ten minutes into the game, he must have made an eighty five yard recovery run to the top of their of the Dallas' own box to to help out double up on whoever was counterattacking and he stole the ball and then walked out with it. And it was effing phenomenal.
2: I knew you would love that moment. I even tweeted about it. That run was ridiculous. You know, because the guy was past him and he's still, you know, rather than giving up, he chased him the whole way until the guy hesitated and then caught him. It was such a beautiful play in terms of defensive effort. That's why we talk about Tess Tessman being a pure eight and maybe he could even be a six. I mean, that's basically what he was playing was is a six. He's a deep, he reminds me of Matt McEwen. You remember Matt McEwen? Oh, yeah. Played for, for Kansas sure. City back yeah. in the day. Like a deep lying six, but a playmaking six. If we can be ridiculous, like Baskets is for. Um, all the clubs he plays for, that that deep six that can pass because his passing is devastating. His long passing is devastating. You saw those balls. He was seven for six in long balls in this game. And there's actually been a change in that because he's always had that great long ball. He did it in the academy. He did it in north texas but it was always a little bit floated and one of the things we said about it was that you're gonna to have to drive that thing in mls because it's got to get there quicker and straighter and he's made that adjustment and you can see it in the game he did it he did it a whole bunch of times the kid is just a quality quality player size strength confidence awareness around him plays defense plays offense Phenomenal player. I don't think there's any question that he should keep his starting spot. I mean, I don't care that Tiago Santos is now rested. That, that game was so good from those three guys. I don't think you can take those three guys out of there. I think mean, They keep their spots. Okay, okay, but,
0: wait, okay but so in, in, for you right now, Santos is sitting. It's not Acosta that comes off the field for, and, and Santos comes back on.
2: Yeah, no, I think you go. Because I don't think that either Acosta or Tanner really are a pure six I think you have to double six them together to make it work, which is basically what they did. I mean even Ricarte at one point checked back and was kind of in that position. This goes back to that triple pivot idea that we 've been kicking around for since Luchiball Ball started basically you know because really Tanner and Acosta both when you do this are six eight hybrids they 're not pure sixes you know, and it it really works with both of them. I thought in particular now listen, I hate the Acosta field goal wide right attempt over the top that drives me crazy but um you know I'll take that once a game if overall you're going to have a really a good game and I thought both of all three of those guys but both Acosta and Tanner as that deep player um taking turns playmaking from there their charts are almost completely identical they're both we're both fantastic and just one of them is an 18 year old kid so that's really exciting don't get used to him being here very long by the way
0: uh dan you know one thing that the the testman run proves to us is there is You know, you hear this from players all the time, which is, man, I just need a run of games to get into my vibe and my groove. And what you get the sense when you watch Tessman, specifically last night, is that now he's finally getting a run out and he's kind of getting into a groove, which uh, is—and then counterbalance that with the fact that now Syphania goes out there in little bits and spurts and he just doesn't look like the same player. And you wonder, is that just simply because he's not getting quality minutes— And then you compare and contrast that to somebody like Jesus Ferreira, who's been given all kinds of minutes and never kind of gets back into form.
1: I think it just goes to show how much the mental side of the game comes into it. Um, You know, Tessman, we we definitely saw a drop-off when he was having those spurts of minutes. Granted, he hadn't played a competitive game in six months, uh, probably the first time since he was like eight. Um, But just speaking to him yesterday after the game he's such a nonchalant guy you know he's I'd asked him about those cross field passes, he's like yeah you know that's something I've got in my bag and I just thought the first half needed a couple of them the second half really didn't um you know you, you, when we speak to players we you know some players are a bit uptight and they they clearly do need that run of games to to clear their head more than anything So, uh, you know, and and we're definitely seeing that with with uh, Brandon Sylvania. One thing that really helped him out last year when he when he made the adjustment from playing under 20s to going into into the FC Dallas first team just was the amount of time he had with North Texas and just getting that run, that regular run out.
0: Uh, And then let's move over to this other subject in the 57th minute, a beautiful Beautiful ball is played essentially to the penalty spot to an onrushing Frank O'Hara, who is marked, but then he takes a shot and blows it wide. And I immediately thought to myself, if that was Cobra, if that was Christian Coleman, we would be screaming bloody murder and tweeting funny tweets and all of that. But no, it is our million-dollar man, Frank O'Hara, who has now not scored in how long? Uh, I didn't count,
2: but I had what? a funny tweet about too
0: it. Long? Huh. Yeah, uh, yeah, too long. And and and, are we now officially seeing more of these miss really good quality opportunities versus the well taken finishes that we had started to see at the beginning?
1: I would say one thing. Um, I I didn't think the miss was as bad as people made out. Barrios had no right make in that pass. That got through an almost impossible angle and he got to it pretty late on his left. I thought, honestly, the volley from the Hollingshead cross was probably worse when he just slammed it straight at the keeper when he definitely got enough on it to direct mm. it. yeah.
2: Well, for one thing, in his body language and in his facial expressions, uh, he's clearly very, very, very frustrated as much with himself as anything it looks like when he saw Pepe ready to check in, he made a gesture. It wasn't offensive or anything, but definitely like a gesture of disgust that like, Oh my God, I can't believe you're taking me out. You know, none of us have played at this level, but we've all been in that moment where like, you feel like you're so close and it's just not coming. You're so frustrated and now you're getting subbed out, you know? So the guy definitely is feeling that frustration. So I think it's just mentality. I think it's just, Now he's he missed a couple, and so now he's thinking about it. You know how it is when a striker's thinking about it. You just want them to relax and be themselves and play themselves. It's a confidence
1: position. That's what striker is. It's a confidence position.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. That's all I think it is. I think he's a plenty good enough player. I just think that you know this. It's still like look at the way like when Reto was it a week ago when Reto had the PK that he took and he went out of his way to celebrate with Hara. They're still forcing it right? It's Mm -hmm. the camaraderie is not there. The vibe is not there. They're, they're really working hard and trying hard to force it to happen. And it's just not there. And it's like, it's a confidence position. It's a team flow. It's a team concept thing. It's a, is a horror overthinking it thing. Like Cobra was last year at one point. So I'm not too worried about it. The guy's too good of a player. You know, the things that bother me about him are how his age and his pace, not that he's missed a couple.
0: Well, thank God we never uh, openly complained and whined and made noise about uh, the hunts uh, spending the money to get Chicharito here, right? Like, we're, oh, we're clear Lord. on that, right? <laughs> <laughs> <And> <laughs> because in it, our defense, Arnold, defense, Peter. We were talking about
2: that ten years ago when Beckham got signed. <laughs> when Chicharito was the shiznit and was worth the money and the and the stardom. But like when they when LA signed him, we were like, "That's going to be a disaster. It's going to be horrible. It's a decade too late."
0: Yeah, if Dan and Clark ever want to uh, throw them throw some love on themselves, they can say, "Hey, look, look what we did. Look at the choice we made. Yeah. Look at the look <laughs> at the, the the spending choices that we made, and look how that worked out." Because you certainly, in almost no scenario, would take Chicharito over Haro at this point, uh, oh, based on Lord. the performances. Maybe uh, to sell uh, jersey is not for anything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Fair enough. <laughs>
1: um,
0: although, although I really want to buy a Frank. I, I really want to buy a Frank O'Hara jersey uh, <laughs> okay it's funny in my head no um, I, I chuckled i just didn't, wasn't very loud but uh, uh, <laughs> they'll sell you one go get I'm a sure. i'm sure they will yeah uh, the other thing that i noticed is that they do appear to be making attempts to figure out how to break low blocks uh, the one thing that i noticed ricarte was trying I don't think he was getting a ton of cooperation from the rest of the team as he was constantly looking for somebody to make runs in behind the back line. We finally started to see some delayed runs out of midfielders or some of the fullbacks. It's not 100% clicking, but you can see the beginning elements of them trying to figure out how to pick that lock.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough spot because when they're basically in that 4-5-1, there essentially are three midfielders defending in front of two center backs, right where you're trying to get your nine and right where you're trying to make those passes. So, I mean, that's the whole point of a low block. And we talked about one of the ways you break it down is you get in between, get in behind, and, and that's eventually what worked. So, you know, it, it is a very difficult thing to do, and, and they do look better at it every game. Now, some of, maybe some of that was Kansas City. So we'll find out because Nashville will almost certainly low block again. So uh, we'll, we'll see if they can break it down two games in a row.
0: Yeah, Nashville who crushed Houston in Houston. Uh, by the Yeah, but out of a low night. block.
2: I mean, yeah. they were in a low block counter. I mean, yeah. even the, their reporters were talking about it on their Twitters.
0: Uh, do we have to say something nice about Brisson today?
2: I thought he was good. You know, mm-hmm. he, he clearly, like, for me, like, we complain about how he had not beat out Either either of the other center backs and the amount of money he's getting paid. But to me, like the games that he's had to start and play, like filling in, he's been great. I mean, I don't have any complaints about him, the way he's performed. It's just a question of how much are you getting paid to be a backup is the problem at this
0: point so uh before we uh, finish talking about the game we we do need to talk about the incident at the very end of the game. Have you guys spent any time watching the replay and and I, in fact, buzz, what I really want to hear is since you were there at the game, what was your live action reaction to the non goal call
2: well the, my first reaction was, uh oh, I've wrecked it with my tweet about how good Jimmy Maurer was it's always that's about my fault you,
0: isn't it yeah, it's always, yeah, about, it's always you. about
2: me uh." Soccer gods are watching. Um, my thought, my first thought was, "Oh my, that's going to go. That's going to be a uh, decision by the referee. That's going to be a what's the word I'm looking for? Controversial. Uh, a judgment call. It's going to be a oh, judgment okay. call, or whether that's a goal or not. Because whether that's a goal or not depends on how protective of keepers you are." Right. Cause I mean, Jimmy basically tackles the guy I'm on the other end of the field and I can see that's kind of what happened, but the guy runs. Jimmy was standing foot and the guy runs to him and then Jimmy takes him down collectively. So arms up tangled up, whatever, you know, how you think it went depends on which team you like and how protective of goalies you are. So in the moment I thought I have no idea which way this guy's going to go. And of course I was relieved when he let me off the hook and gave a no goal. But I can certainly understand why Sporting Kansas City was pissed because if you happen to think the other way, I can easily see it going the other way. And I don't, my, when I watched the video, I really have, couldn't tell you even now, having watched the replay like three times, whether it should have been a goal or not.
0: Dan, your thoughts, uh, sir. Yeah. And, rea- I, and I'd also like to hear the reaction in the press box since you were
1: sitting up there. Uh, the reaction in the press box was a little bit of confusion at first um that the ref had gone in so quick cuz you know he just runs in and you you like well it went in so he's not given a penalty says so it a free kick is he actually given a penalty what what's going on um you know in in live speed it is definitely a judgment call um on seeing the replay a, a bunch of times since after seeing a kind of 50-50 split on things um, one thing kind of sh- stuck out to me that maybe prevents the video assistant referee from getting too involved is that, um, you know, um, Jimmy parries the diff- the cross into the path of uh, Gaddy Kinder, ironically, someone who FC Dallas was linked with, kind of has the shot. Jimmy palms it up, and then at that moment, Uh, Gatti kind of actually drops his shoulder into the chest of Jimmy, uh, which is kind of like the, oh, fuck it, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to just take you out and see what happens. Uh, Jimmy definitely wraps his arms up, but, I mean, I can tell you from years I've played rugby, or anyone could tell you from playing football, if you hit someone and you're sending them to the ground, they wrap their arms around you because they don't want a loose limb and they want to try and ease their fall.
2: I thought it was interesting that after the game, Vermees commented that, they were told the var official did review it and deemed it a foul on the sporting guy so they were at, they were livid that it, var said it was a foul on their guy so at some level it was reviewed and some level the, the var re- re- agreed with the referee that it was a foul <laughs>
0: I thought this was an interesting case for, uh, you know, I constantly say that I love video review, but I think it needs to be limited to real-time speed only. Like, when you start introducing slow-mo into anything, you can almost change uh, your mind about, you know, anything. Like, slow motion just makes everything look a thousand times worse. And when you watch it in real time, I can clearly see why the referee said the Kansas City player fouled um uh Jimmy because he kind of does run into him first or it looks like he does in real time. It's only when you kinda slow it down and really slow it down that it becomes more questionable as to whether or not Jimmy initiated the contact or not. Um that that's that was just my particular read on it. But if I'm a Kansas City fan, I can completely understand why they feel aggrieved by that decision.
2: By the way, Peter, I thought you would enjoy the fact my wife said that in the stadium VAR sucks. (laughs) And so I I asked her why she said that. And she said, because they don't tell you what they've decided. There's no communication from the ref and they don't put it on the board. Like what the ruling was. Well, so that's, that's funny. That's like, that's exactly what you've said the whole time. And she out of the blue the other day, she just told me that. And I was like, oh, I got to tell Peter.
0: <laughs> well, you're right. And that's one of the weird quirks about how VAR is instituted, which is VAR looks at everything. We only know about the, 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 the incidences where it ends up going back to the center referee. And clearly they looked at it very quickly and said, nope, whatever you called was correct. We agree with you. And, and that was the end of it, but they don't communicate that back. They didn't. And, and to be honest with us, they didn't communicate that back to market steve either
2: yeah they, they, they again look they do a terrible job with communication the only person they tell is like the coach is on the bench you know and that doesn't help the whole stadium or the broadcast or any of that stuff yeah imagine that oh, you remember how good we talked about this before how good was the stupid broadcast at the bubble when they had the, the communication between oh, yeah. and the ref? I, so good and they didn't continue it so bad
0: yeah it solves so many problems and, yeah. and creates so many opportunities and and it was great yeah, tv I, it makes for great television. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't, I said we were going to stop talking about the game after this. That was the last point, but I did forget to bring up one other thing that drove me nuts throughout this game, which is, are we, is FC Dallas still on the never ending search for a left wing player? Yes. Yeah.
2: Boy, I thought, I thought Pico was terrible. <laughs> which yeah. is a shame because like there's been a couple of games where he's been clearly faster than the the back on his side and he's phenomenal. He just destroys them. But if he's, if he's just as fast as the guy, which it seemed to be in this game, uh, he lacks what I said about Ricardo. He lacks spatial awareness. Like he doesn't have good awareness of where his teammates are. And if the defender is fast enough, then he's not good at playing like a quick ping, ping, give and go combo to give him to break himself into space. So, I don't think there's any doubt right now that if Muscara was healthy and Lucci had to win a game, that Lucci wouldn't pick Muscara. And that's amazing because we think Muscara is terrible. But don't you agree? Wouldn't you agree with that assessment?
0: Yeah. That Lucci would pick Muscara? I don't know. I I do think that... uh, look i'm not familiar with fafa Pico's game enough to know if what i'm looking at is what my my read on it is is that he's just trying too hard like he's running into, into his own players, he's, he's running into the same space as his teammates I mean there were very clear moments in that game where I thought Frank O'Hara was going to grab him and punch him in the face and knock him out because every time uh, uh, Franco would run into a space he'd look up and there was faFA right next to him there was yeah, an incident the on, in yeah there was a there was an incident where a ball got crossed to the far post, and clearly the guy that was behind him, I don't know who it was, it may have been uh, Ryan, it may have been Tessman, was lined up to do something with the ball, and Fafa cut in in front of him and tried to do something with it, and I think that happened three or four times. Throughout the game. I also think he's got a little bit of Fabian Castillo itis in the box where he does a ton of work to get in a very dangerous situation and then just nothing comes of it. And so we've seen lots of Fafa Pico minutes now, and I'm not convinced he's any more or less dangerous than Santi. The only advantage he has over Santi is that he puts out a very high quality work rate and he does a ton of defensive work that Santiago doesn't even dream about doing
2: yeah great presser but that's what I meant about uh, lack of teammate awareness like he keeps running in top of guys you know two guys in the same spot for one ball and it's like you should have known your teammate was there you know should have read that moment and he's not doing a good job with that
0: hmm. Um, okay, well, uh, any other thoughts about uh, Dallas one, Kansas City zero? Now here, here's you do realize, Dan, what this sets up is that Dallas is now undefeated in its three regular season games against Kansas City. Do they play Kansas City again before the end of the season? Nope. So you know what you know what the scriptwriters have figured out. Dallas and Kansas City are going to play each other in a one off game in the playoffs, and that means Dallas is going to have to beat Kansas City a fourth time to advance in the playoffs you can see that coming right well they won't be able they won't <laughs> that's how that works
2: <laughs> with this club the minute it's a playoff game well there'll be a conflict there i don't know whether the soccer gods will decide that they can't beat kansas City in the playoffs or they, they have to go to orlando and lose to oscar that's the other great uh you know upcoming playoff story
0: yeah. You hear that, Dan? Buzz is saying the gods are having an argument amongst themselves as to which is the worst fate for this club in November. Which one is Is more FC Dallas? Which one is it? Is it losing to Oscar in Orlando, or is it not being able to beat Kansas City a fourth time in a season?
1: Oh, that's so FCD. It is very (laughs) FCD. Isn't it?
0: It is. It'll be a nice addition to uh, the list, the facepalm list, as I like to call it. Yep. Yep. Okay, um, so the other big news this week ties into North Texas SC, which had a big win that they needed. They've got three games left to go to qualify uh, for the playoffs. And uh, that was, uh, well, wait a second. Major League Soccer is starting its own reserve league.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Uh, you know, we've been predicting on this podcast that that would happen. We had picked up on a couple of little tidbits here and there. So it seemed pretty obvious that that was coming. So nothing's official yet, but the the article that the uh, Athletic wrote is pretty in-depth and has a whole lot of pieces, you know, has a lot of the stuff, and they're expecting the announcement any minute. So basically, here's what we know. It's going to... Uh, what they're talking about is apparently a, another 23 league, effectively. Now, there probably will be an occasional waiver to get in a guy that's like trying to recover from injury or or such and such there's probably going to be some stuff involving having extra players beyond you know your base uh 30 that you have on the mls roster. you probably have some guys that you can sign just for the reserve team or something like that presumably so here's the thing with fc dallas though with over the last multiple years i've had multiple conversations with Lucci with Oscar Pereja with Chris Hayden, who runs the Academy and the youth setup with Eric Quill. The thing that they like about North Texas and, and in the athletic article specifically said Dallas won't is going to stay in USL one is what the article says. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And the reason is because FC Dallas has a organizational philosophy in the Academy to play their Academy players at the highest level possible in terms of age, because they want them to be challenged. And specifically, by moving up three, four, five academy players into North Texas, and also including the young guys they've signed instead of going to college, also including young picks, the entire team is basically playing with an average age of like 19 or 20. There's a couple of guys that are 22 maybe. But they want them to play against these 27, 28, 30-year-old men who will kick you in the balls to win, who are fighting for a career, they're fighting for a job, they will bite, they will claw, they're bigger than you, they will knock you down, they will punch you. That's what they want them to go up against because you have to learn how to battle through that kind of thing. That's what makes you a better player. Now, if they if they took North Texas and stuck it in a reserve league, you're going to play against 20 other teams that are just the same and they're all going to kind of pass the ball around and it's going to be fine but it's not the same as North Texas and USL one. Like when the pandemic is over, some of these venues are going to be intimidating little baseball fields with horrible surfaces. They're going to be 4,000 people in Chattanooga. There's going to be some tough environments. Dallas loves that stuff in terms of player development. So that's why North Texas soccer club will stay in USL one. I'm predicting that's going to happen. It's not official. That's what I'm not. I'm telling you it's going to happen. And then number two, I think they actually will feed a team in the reserve league, but it's basically going to be their U 19 team. Basically like mm-hmm. the leftovers are going to play up in that league. Some semblance of a team cobbled together with mostly Academy guys. And then you'll see a, a trickle down effect. A lot of the 17s will come up to the 19s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I I don't think it's accurate to say Dallas isn't in the reserve league. I think it's accurate to say North Texas stays in USL one and Dallas will field something in the reserve league made up of leftover Academy kids. If that makes sense to
0: you. So in the, in the, in the American soccer pyramid, which is not a pyramid, but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Where, where does this reserve league fall specifically in relation to USL one? Because it's MLS, USLC and now USL one and also MLS two.
2: Well, there's no reason really that they need to have official sanctioning. Now they've said the article says that they're going to go for Division Three level, which is the same as USL.
0: No, no, I, 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 and, no, no. I understand. I don't mean officially yeah. in the in the hierarchy. I'm just yeah. mean, in general. If we're trying to compare USL One to MLS Two, wh- where do they sit next to each other, or is one yeah. on top of the other?
2: Well, no, they'll basically be next to each other. Um, you know, it'll be it'll be a, basically a U twenty three league. Like, like a lot of leagues around the world have where you basically play the same schedule as your senior team. And it's a bunch of kids mostly with a couple of rehab guys going down, you Mm -hmm. know? And then when you have these big, huge clubs every year, they'll have like 20 guys. that will hit that level of 23 and they'll wave all but like two of them. That'll actually progress into their first team, you know? So that's kind of the way this is going to work. You know, it's, it's not, it doesn't even really need official sanctioning because it's basically just an internal league you know, but the equivalency right. is going to be like this is going to be above the academy, uh, equivalent to college essentially in terms of the age bracket. You know, you can argue it's equivalent to NS, to USL one and to NISA in terms of the level of play it's going to have, but it won't have very. It's not going to have these older guys from the age of twenty four to thirty four. These seasoned pros, these experienced guys, these nasty guys, these big, huge guys, they won't be in there. It'll all be a bunch of relative kids playing in it.
0: All right. But if I'm but if uh, little uh seventeen year old up and coming hard nosed center back Dan Crook, who uh you know, his family moved over from England when he was ten and he's come up through the FC Dallas system and he's a a bright shining new defensive light, which Team does he want to be on the uh, MLS two team, or does he want to be on the North Texas Soccer? Oh, North club Texas, team? yeah,
2: unquestionably, okay. because th- that's where that's where you're going to go up against tougher competition, and that's where their very best players are going to be put by FC Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking about um, from the SV Dallas, FC Dallas perspective, their reserve team is North Texas. They're going to fields, I believe, they're going to field some kind of team in this reserve league, but it essentially will be. Uh, I don't even know what's gonna. It's basically gonna be like a U nineteen team, probably made up of pieces left over. Like they're they're still gonna send their very best players to North Texas because they feel it's a greater challenge. It's a more difficult league, and the players will progress more. Remember, it's not about winning; right. it's about progressing. So you know, putting fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old Justin Shea up against these big, massive, and sometimes or sometimes really fast players these adults is a, is a huge getting knocked down like that, getting beat up. You have to figure out internally how to do it. That's progression. That's how you get better. Not, not like, cause right now the Desi Dallas United 19 waltzes through the academy. Most of the time, except when they play solar, maybe they just wipe up the floor with everybody else. You know, up and down the whole academy, it doesn't do you any good, hardly. That's one reason why they they wanted to get out of the DA in the first place, because they want harder games.
1: This is so. all kind of weird because it's like they're creating the problem that the Premier League and and other European leagues that don't allow second teams in their pyramid have had for quite some time now. In that they're they're going up against kids, not some hard nosed, horrible bastard midfielder who's going to punch you yeah. silly.
2: Yeah, in a way, think about it this way. They're going to replicate Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich's reserve team doesn't play in the reserve league. Bayern Munich's reserve team plays in what, Bundesliga 3, I think it is. Right? Right? So that's what they're going to replicate. That's my belief based on previous conversations. None of this is conversations based on the last couple of days or anything. This is just a history of talks about where things are going and why they like the things they like. They're going to have a team outside of the reserve league that's going to be their most important team, just like Bayern does.
0: Hey, Buzz, you know what they say about that young up-and-coming center back, Dan Crook? Slow. No, no. He gets oh. stuck in and wins his 50s. Oh, yeah, I bet he hey. does. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, so uh, Tech North Texas does have three games left to go, and and are they shaping up well for qualifying for the playoffs after a rather sh- shady start to the season?
2: Well, they're going to have Burgess and Monjoma down the rest of the year, and they're going to have uh, Robertson and, and Surlo on Friday – with them. So that'll be good. Um, they're definitely much, much better now than they were two months ago. They have three games to play. They need, however, because they're three points behind and Richmond is the team they're trying to catch. And Richmond has the tiebreaker, unfortunately. So they have to pass Richmond, which they, they, they basically have to win out and have Richmond drop, not lose, but not win two of the, Richmond's three games. So like if they Richmond wins
0: con- two games, it's over. They don't control their own
2: fate. Richmond does. Uh, North Texas does not. Even if North Texas wins out, they need Richmond to not win two games. They can tie them. That'd be fine, but not win them.
0: Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. Very good. Uh, Any other? uh, Oh, this is one thing I wanted to bring up because uh, with COVID, one of the things that has happened is we're really getting an opportunity to week in and week out enjoy the amazingly good work uh, of Mark Folliwell and uh, Steve Davis. And and the reason why I bring this up is um, it, I, the, I am uh, of the belief that those two guys are helping each other tremendously. Mark has made Steve a much better broadcaster, and Steve has helped Mark get smarter about the game. And if they're not the best uh, home-based TV play by play and color combo in the league I, somebody show me who it is S- Steve in particular and I've said a thousand times I am generally not a fan of somebody who is not from the game itself like had you know played it professionally coached it professionally actually playing that analyst role but Steve has proven me wrong and he does it week in and week out the way that he analyzed that penalty kicks or not the penalty kick the foul call at the end of the game was about as even-handed and as unbiased as it could possibly be he's critical when he needs to be critical about the home team with uh, without doing it in an awful way um, and I just so enjoy their work and we're so lucky to have those two guys and if you don't believe me go turn on a san jose game or an orlando game or pretty much any other team in mls and you will quickly come to my side of the coin that we have the best tv play-by-play analyst in the league
2: yeah i agree completely follow well is a broadcaster of a much higher caliber than most teams in mls have he's an nba level commentator which is a big deal and an, an nba commentator and a big market superstar pro TV guy, phenomenal talent. He works national broadcast for Fox for a reason. The guy's a legit st- superstar in the making. Steve Davis, I agree with you, Peter. Usually I want a player in that position or a coach in that position because they can give you the, oh, when I played, or, oh, when I coached, we did this, that. Steve's missing that part. But he's been covering soccer for a living since I was in college. You know, So the guy knows the game. So when it comes to a guy that's not a player, he's as good as you can be. And you're right that when he started doing it, he wasn't a TV guy, he's a print writer, right? So he's had to learn on the fly how to do television, you know, and I've worked with him before. He, every game he soaks it up. He learns, he always wants to get feedback on how I can be better. And that's a credit to him that he is improving and has turned himself into a great broadcaster. I agree.
0: Yeah, and we're not just blowing smoke up his skirt. You're a TV game producer. I'm a broadcaster. Both of our careers, I think, we have a legitimate point of view on how well he's doing. Um, yeah. and and I just it just continues to get better. And it really is an ideal duo uh, uh, between the pair of them. And and uh, I'm, we're just very lucky to have them both.
2: Yeah, I particularly admire Steve's ability to keep it level and keep it keep a keep a perspective when the team he's covered for. Thirty years is going sideways. You know it's hard to keep a balanced perspective when you cover the same team all the time, and he does a really nice job with that.
0: Yeah, and a league filled. Yeah, and and, mm. and and we know that this league is filled with homerific oh. uh, duos, right? Yeah, we yeah. we complain about it all the time, especially for those people who don't get to hear Steve and uh, and Mark do their work because of however the broadcast thing is set up uh, you're always treated to some guy that you know will watch somebody try to break somebody's leg and go oh that what he that didn't that what that. Steve and Mark, Steve in particular, is really good about just calling it as it is. And what I I don't think a lot of people know about Steve is Steve has played the game his entire life. He's a really nice little player himself, and he coaches. Like, he gives his time to his community out in East Dallas, and he has these coaching classes that he teaches kids. So I think he's—I don't know what license he has, Um you know beyond just covering and writing the uh as a professional journalist he actually is a part of the the game flows through his body and the way that it does with players and coaches and i and i hope everybody knows that because that's part of the reason he's so good at his job
2: yep a great well said
0: all right dan anything you'd like to throw out before we uh finally uh stop doing this and go eat dinner
1: uh no i'm i'm, I'm good i'm gonna just
0: enjoy some more poppy check and uh, you're doing the editing tonight, aren't you? You've got a lot of editing to do, my friend.
1: Yeah, how are we nearly at two hours? Is that Good really? Lord, are
0: we? Are we really? There was a lot to talk about tonight. We never even... Hey, by the way, I just want to say, I really liked Lucci's uh, white short-sleeve uh, button-up <laughs> shirt last night. That was a, a very nice, sharp look, I thought.
2: You had to get the fashion hit in. I didn't like the tight uh, pants, though. That's not my jam.
0: I uh, couldn't. They didn't really show those on TV. I just they oh, just yeah. kept showing the shot from the uh, from the from the waist up. So. He wears
2: the narrow the narrow legged. Uh, you know this is boot country. We like them boot cuts. He wears those narrow legged.
0: He, he's a handsome skinny, skinny man, jeans. Buzz. He's, he's a, a handsome fashionable, man. handsome man. And yeah, if cool. you had, if you would look like that, you'd dress like that, Buzz. Coach
2: Gucci. Yep.
0: Gucci <laughs> <Gucci-lucci>. Lucci. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, Dan, thank you for your insight and thoughts uh, about the Reggie situation and the game last night. As always, I appreciate you, and you make me laugh. Just with my
1: presence? Yeah, yeah sure. Oh. You're like
2: a clown. Wow.
1: <laughs> You're the pod clown. <laughs> I'm not Christian Coman. Oh, yeah. Ooh.
0: Oh, that's meme and uh buzz thank you my friend as always uh this was always a fun time to spend with you guys and thank you fc dallas oh wait hold on hold on
2: oh yeah if you like our podcast and like our coverage of fc dallas please give us some support
0: patreon.com slash third degree we could use the support and we would appreciate it very much all right dan buzz thank you both very much thank you fc dallas curious fan we will speak to you next week they don't play again until Tuesday against Nashville, and we'll talk about that and hopefully yeah. not much more, if we're all lucky, on another Ooh. stellar edition of Third Degree, the podcast.
1: Baby Jack. Oh. Third Degree, the Third Degree Network. 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 Third degree, Thank you.